Hello everyone, welcome to Langstaff Assembly Podcast. My name is Yanaili Joyce and I'm your host for this episode. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that this message encourages you and that it draws you near to God. I'd like to read in Luke's Gospel in chapter 7. Luke's Luke's Gospel chapter 7. It's a well-known story. Um, And I'll start reading at verse uh, 36. One of the Pharisees asked him, that's Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him, at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of a woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has uh, wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is a a beautiful section of scripture. Um, I read this section of scripture uh, a few days ago with the girls uh, before they went to bed. And ever since doing so, uh, it's been on my mind. And I thought that I'd take a bit of a a look at it and share a few thoughts that I enjoyed over the course of the past week. Um, Coming out of this, very simply, my prayer is that uh, our hearts will have a deeper appreciation and love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, The section really begins with an invitation, doesn't it? Actually, what's very fitting when we contemplate and we think about this section are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Just before this story begins, the Lord Jesus could say, John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine. and, And you say he has a demon referring to himself. The Lord Jesus could then say, The son of man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by all her children. That was the accusation made against the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And against that backdrop of what the Lord Jesus has just said, comes an invitation from a Pharisee to dinner. 
And as the chapter goes on, we begin to learn a little bit about who this Pharisee is. It's a, it's a, a, a man by the name of Simon. And somewhere along the way, Simon would have drawn alongside the Lord Jesus and, and approached him and asked him, come to my home for dinner. Come to my home for supper. Now, this is spoken of later in the chapter, but I think it's important to note the context and the customs of the day because it's pivotal to understanding what's happening in this section of Scripture. Uh, at this time, hospitality was a very strongly held value. Uh, typically, uh, for a guest to come into a home, there would be a great deal of concern and care for the guests, the guest of honor who visited the home. And when the guests would come in, there would be a basin of water to wash the the dust from the feet of the guest. Oftentimes there would be scented oil to anoint the hair of the guest. That's actually seen in numerous passages in scripture. You can even go back into the Old Testament. It's, it's there as well. Guests of honor would typically be greeted with a kiss when they walked in the door. And yet as we're to find out when the Lord Jesus enters the home of Simon the Pharisee, there is no basin of water waiting for him. There is no oil. And there's no kiss. You know, I thought about the kings of this world. And uh, I, actually, I was, I was kind of shocked <laughs> when I thought about the kings of this world. And I did a little bit of looking into how they react to perceived insults against them. Um, five years ago, there was a Thai factory worker who um, mocked the king's dog. Dog. And he was sentenced to... Uh, he was facing a sentence of up to 37 years in prison. I don't know exactly what he got. Um, in 2014, the Saudi government stepped up their punishments for insults to the king or the crown prince. And in 2012, there was a 24-year-old um, man in Morocco who insulted the king uh, in a conversation that was recorded that he didn't even know about. And he was sentenced to three years in prison. Um, and these are kings who've been insulted and they're, they're rushes to judgment. And then, I, and then I, I come back to, to this section of scripture in Luke chapter 7. And we, we come into Simon's house and there's no water for the king of kings. And there's no kiss. And there's no oil. And yet what amazed me was that even prior to this happening, the Lord knew the exact specifics of the evening to come. We read these words that Jesus went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at his table. I mean, uh, we, we, we kind of have to get this out in the open. Would you go to a dinner? Would I go to a dinner where I knew that when I walk in the door, I was going to be slighted and disrespected and mocked, insulted in such a way that it was blatantly open to all the other guests who were there that I had been the one to be left out or that you had been the one to be left out it's not likely we're showing up at that dinner but the lord did he went to that dinner in fact when he stepped over the threshold of simon's house it's amazing because he he showed no sign of offense instead we read that he walked over and he reclined at the table someone once summed it up like this that simon had the holy one of israel in his house reclining at his table the prophet that Moses had foretold was dining with him the Lord of glory the resurrection and the life was speaking to him face to face and the great climactic moment of history 
that Simon claimed to be living for had arrived and was in his house. But Simon wasn't amazed. As he looked at the Lord Jesus, all he saw was a, a man from Nazareth. and In fact, a man whose feet still bore the, the dust from the, the roadway. You know, if that was me in that scenario, or perhaps you could enter into this as well, I think my mind might still be stuck on the entrance and the insult. We wouldn't be able to taste the food too well. Our minds would be distracted, and perhaps there would be that frustration bubbling up. Like, they think they can do this? That's not, that's not the way the Lord is. It's not the way the Lord was in this story. I thought about the humility of the Lord. It's incredible. Taking his place at the table. And the words of scripture that came to mind were these in Matthew 20 and 28. Son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And I thought about how the Lord would have reclined at the table all the while knowing she's on her way. She's coming. A soul that I have come to seek and save. My life, a ransom for her. You know, there's nothing coincidental about the path of the Lord. The way he moved, he moved with purpose. And then we come to verse 37. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. When she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. You know, typically we don't like to have our dinner interrupted, do we? I mean, the phone rings and it's somebody there saying, would you like your, your ducks cleaned or there's telemarketer phone calls? When we sit down to eat, we want to enjoy our time with our family and our friends. And this is true on a normal evening. It's especially true when we have people over for dinner. And then we read of this woman of the city. She's coming. It's important to stop for a moment, though. Um, there were several commentary, commentaries that I was looking at in regards to Luke chapter 7, where we learn a little bit about the cultural context of the time. Where during special meals, uh, the door would often be left open, uh, either to the outer rooms or to the courtyard, where those who perhaps didn't receive an invitation could sit by the walls or within the courtyard to hear the conversation that was happening within. And while that may have been a courtesy that was extended to some in the neighborhood or in the area, I think it'd be safe to say that it wasn't something that was offered to her. She was not invited. And likely if you ask the majority of the folks who were there that day, she wasn't welcome either. We read, behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at a table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now we've got the backdrop of what's happening here. And the question really is, what stopped her from coming? Nothing. Absolutely nothing stopped her. Remember, to all the others, she wasn't welcome. And whether she actually weighed it up in her mind or not, I don't know. But she made up her mind to walk into the home of a Pharisee. And then once inside, past the eyes of a host of judgmental, disapproving people who all knew of her reputation. But she still came. 
And the answer to the question, why? Why did she come? I think it's obvious. She came because he was there. She came because he was there. We read very simply, when she learned that he was reclining at a table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment and stood behind him at his feet. Him being there made all the difference in the world. The chapter tells us, it goes on to tell us that Simon watched her come into the room. Hmm. He's thinking to himself, as he watches this scene unfold, if he knew what sort of a woman this is that's touching him, if he knew the sort of woman this is that was touching him, what sort of a woman, Simon? What sort of a woman, Simon? She was the sort of woman who was willing to humble herself. I know who I am. And so does he. And I remember that he is the one who said, come to me, all that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What sort of woman, Simon? The sort of woman who is willing to enter a hostile environment because a moment with the Lord Jesus would far outweigh the shame of those all around her judging her. Bringing an alabaster flask of ointment, she was the sort of woman who was willing to make a sacrifice. She was the sort of woman who wanted to honor the Lord Jesus, the sort of woman who believed him, who had faith in him, who loved him. One commentator wrote that her actions were a silent rebuke to the false teaching of the day. No, God's kingdom is not for the proud. It is not for those who take pride in keeping rules and regulations. It is for broken people. It is for those who mourn. It is for tax collectors and sinners, for the crippled and the blind, the prostitute and the prodigal. It's for the forgiven. And so she enters into the room and Luke's gospel tells us that she stood behind him at his feet. And we've read about the table. And uh, if you're like me growing up, I, always, uh, I was always under the impression that people have always had a table with four Four tall legs and chairs to sit around the table. I mean, that's the way da Vinci painted it, isn't it? But uh, when we look into Luke's gospel uh, and then study the, the, the context of the day, we find out that she stood behind him at his feet. So the Lord and all the others there, very simply, they would have been in a relaxed and re a, a reclined position, likely propped up on a cushion or, or on a mat or on an elbow with their bare feet facing away from the table, away from them. So they're not sitting in an upright position, but reclined with the table in front of them, likely being about eight inches, eight inches tall. This was, this was the customary way of eating during the day. And it's likely that as this woman entered into the room, all eyes would have went to her. Because other than the servants, it's likely that she would have been the only one standing. How can you not be noticeable? Everyone else is reclining. She would have been one of the only ones standing, perhaps the only one standing. So how did she find the Lord? Yeah, it's likely that she had seen him before and heard him before. But I like to think, and, and, and I think that this is 100% true. 
that his face would have been the only one that had compassion on it. That his eyes would have been the only ones that were warm and spoke volumes to her saying, come, I've been waiting for you. Come, I know why you've come. And she comes behind him and she's standing at his feet and she's, and she's weeping. And I wondered if she stood there. I wondered if as she watched the tears fall, she saw that her tears were making streaks in the dust that was still on his feet. Maybe Simon didn't wash them. I will. Maybe Simon didn't wash them, but she's going to. And the tears fall. And as, as they fall, she lets down her hair and she begins to wipe his feet. And several of the commentaries that I looked at referenced the same thought that in, at the time in the Middle, Middle Eastern culture, a woman, a, a quote unquote respectable woman, would never let their hair down in public. To do so would be considered immodest, improper, and sometimes even immoral. But this woman is not concerned with what the other people are thinking about her. Her worship of the Lord is not going to be hindered. She has come to worship the Lord. And regardless of what the others might have thought, she was there in devotion to, her, to, to, to him. And her experience in thinking about it, standing in that room, it reminded me of the experience of Peter, James, and John on the mountain of transfiguration, when they looked up, what do the scriptures say? When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. It's almost like that's what was, that, that's her experience. She is so focused on the Lord. And in that moment for that woman, he was the only one that mattered. And her mind and her heart was completely taken up with him. But she's crying. Why is she crying? Why is she there with so much affection and doing these things? It's because she'd been forgiven. It's because she had been forgiven and the tears that were falling were tears of gratitude. She wept because she knew she had been forgiven much. And she was with the one who, who knew all about her, all about her life. She was with the one who knew about every single choice she had ever made. And he loved her and had forgiven her. And she was aware of her sin. She's there aware of her sin, but she's there rejoicing in the forgiveness that he had offered her unreservedly. It's free. Take it. I was reminded of that song, My Sin Was Great, but Your Love was greater still. And now she comes, of all places, into the home of Simon the Pharisee to worship. And she falls to her knees and she begins to kiss his feet. I mean, we read that chapter, we read this section of scripture, and it's so easy to, to just keep going. But how shocking a scene this must have been for Simon and the others to see. Think about it. I mean, what on earth is going on here? She's not even supposed to be here. Her hair is down. Now she's kissing his feet. I mean, that word kissing is an intense word. You know where else you find it? You find it when the son comes home and the father runs to him. When that son who'd been away in a far country comes home, the father runs to him, embraces him, 
and kisses him? It's the same word. That's what she's doing. She's kissing his feet. And then unable to wait any longer, she does what she came to do. She opens the flask and she anoints the Lord's feet. What a staggering display of honor shown to the Lord Jesus. Right in the middle of all those who tried to dishonor him. Think about her worship. What characterized her worship? These were tears of gratitude. The washing and anointing of his feet. A moment where all she sees is Jesus. And what's astounding is what, what Simon refused to do. Where everything Simon refused to do. She did. Yet how many things did she say with her mouth? How many words did she utter? Look at what she said. It's a bit of a trick question. Scriptures don't record a single word. Not a single word. It's amazing how much she says without uttering a single word. You know, her worship was purely from the heart. It was adoration. It was devotion. It was sacrifice. She came that evening prepared to worship the Lord with everything she had. John's gospel tells us that worshipers of God must worship in the spirit and in truth. That's what she did. With tears of thankfulness pouring down her face, worshiping the one who is the way, the truth, and the life for her. And coming out of it all, the Lord acknowledged her worship for what it was. She loved much. She loved much. She appreciates the forgiveness that she has. She loves me, Simon, because she has been forgiven. And there's Simon, and he's standing there, and he's, he's watching this scene unfold. Simon, the Pharisee, is trying to figure out what, what to do with Jesus. What group does he belong to? He thinks to himself, if, if Jesus really was a prophet, then he would know what sort of a woman this is that's touching him. Because she's a sinner. It's sad. It's, it's a sad note then, that other than the, the record of his own personal disgust with this woman, there's no evidence that Simon ever acknowledged her presence at all or spoke a word to her. Simon, I have something to say to you. It's amazing. The Lord knew his heart. Simon, I have something to say to you. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other of 50. Neither had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon says, I suppose it would be the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You're right. You have judged correctly, Simon. Now, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears, wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. This is beautiful. Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Who loves God most, Simon? The one who's concerned with rules and regulations or the one who understands just how much God has forgiven them? 
You know, whether you're under 50 feet of water or under 500 feet of water, both need rescuing. Whether it's 50 denarii or 500, the reality of the story that the Lord Jesus told is that neither could pay. Both kinds of people needed forgiveness. And if there's to be any hope at all, it would have to be that the moneylender had it in his heart to forgive them, to be willing to forgive and to pardon. And the beauty of what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying is, I am willing. I am willing to forgive. Simon didn't see it. But she did. And she came back to say thank you. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. My soul. You know, one of the big takeaways that I enjoyed from this account in Luke 7 is, is the message of the gospel. That God is offering his forgiveness to a world of individuals in debt. Whether it's 50 or the 500, the Bible makes it clear that we all owed a debt we couldn't pay because of our sin. And yet the scriptures make it so clear that Christ died for our sins. The Bible says he bore our sins in his own body on the tree. And that is why God can offer forgiveness to the debtor. Because Christ paid the debt. And, and my love and our love for him, for the Lord Jesus, will only grow deeper when I see the truth of how great my own debt was. But he paid it. He paid it all. Well, there's a practical component that I enjoyed as well. How this story spoke to my heart. That there's no room for judgment. There's no room for judgment. You see, if we think like Simon, we can fall prey to the thought that there are people who are beyond hope. That there are people who, who will never find forgiveness in the Lord Jesus. That they're too far gone. Or we can think to ourselves that fall prey to the thought that spirituality is is best or most manifested in outward appearances. When all along the Lord Jesus and God is saying, I want your heart. That's what I want. But the good news of this parable is that sinners can find forgiveness because Christ paid the debt. And that there's no one who slipped too far or is too much of a debtor and not a soul on this earth that God can't reach. And, uh, you know, I was thinking to myself that it might be a good idea to pause for a moment because I don't know who all is logged on this morning. I see faces and most I know, but I don't have the whole everybody. So I want to pause for a moment because if you've never trusted the Lord Jesus the way this woman did, if you've never met the Lord Jesus the way this woman did, I'd like to tell you what the Bible says. It clearly teaches that we are all the debtor as well. That because of sin, we have a debt we cannot pay. But the gospel tells us that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. It tells us that on the cross, he gave himself to suffer, to bleed, to die, and to pay the debt that we never could to bring us back to God. And the question is, will you trust him? Will you take him? Just like this woman did, she came back to say thank you, understanding that the forgiveness that he offered was for her as well. And trust him just like she did. Uh, I'm going to close now, but I want to leave a quote with you. There was a quote that I, there was, this is a quote that I really enjoyed <clears throat> that I want to leave with you. Hopefully 
um, you take it with you for the week. Because I believe it's exactly what this woman in Luke chapter 7 was hanging on to. And it goes like this. <clears throat> Let my deepest awareness of myself be that I am deeply loved by Jesus Christ. And I have done nothing to earn it or deserve it. But I receive it. Let my deepest awareness of myself be that I am deeply loved by Jesus Christ. And I have done nothing to earn it or deserve it. But I receive it. Hey, thank you so much for listening. What a privilege it was to share God's word with you today. We pray that you were fed, strengthened, and more equipped to run the race with perseverance. To listen to more podcasts like this, make sure to subscribe. For more content from Langstaff and to connect with us, go to langstaffassembly.com. Have a blessed day and we'll see you next time.